Did you know that kinky wellness is integral to your self-development? Hi, my name is Dana Shergill. I'm a kinky wellness coach and owner of The Partition, home of kinky wellness. Each Monday, I bring on a guest to discuss why kinky sexual wellness deserves a seat in the wellness conversation. You can catch my solo shows on Wednesdays, but let's jump into it. Hey, and welcome back. Today, we are welcoming Trisha Wise, aka Safe Slut. After being diagnosed with genital herpes in November of 2019, she quickly noticed the stigma and shame surrounding herpes, which prompted her to create her Instagram account at safe.slut to help people take back their power, promote sex positivity, educate on safer sex practices, and to help destigmatize STIs and slut shaming. In addition to that, Trisha is a New York City-based writer, Reiki master, herbalist, and of course, an overall sexual health advocate. So let's welcome Trisha to the show. So welcome to the show, Trisha Wise. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for being on the show. So this episode, we're going to be talking about everything to do with general herpes because you are aka also safe slut. So I'd like to give the intro, sorry, the listeners just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I was diagnosed with genital herpes in November 2019, um, and I was completely devastated. I thought my life was over, but then after talking to other people who had it, going on social media, I realized that was not the case, but there was still a lot of stigma about it that I wanted to help other people through. So I created my Instagram, Safe Slut, a few months after I was diagnosed, where I initially started just talking about herpes, but now it's turned into this like full, whole, like, sex positive empowerment thing and I also now like sell sex toys and I do a lot of writing I do Reiki I make products and I do OnlyFans so a lot of different things wonderful wonderful so we'll probably explore some of those later uh just in the conversation but just right off the beginning so what is genital herpes so genital herpes can either be HSV1 or HSV2 so if you've ever had a cold sore It's going to be the same thing just on the genitals. So it's herpes simplex virus. It's a virus of the nervous system. And unfortunately, it's not that serious, just very stigmatized. Yeah. So for instance, I'm sure a lot of people when they first get diagnosed with this, they have a wave of negative emotions that come on. Is there typical feelings that someone might experience and how would they be able to help themselves with those? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was just like, completely devastated. Like I thought I was going to have to be celibate. So it can be kind of traumatizing, honestly. Um, Even if you're like, know about herpes and like you're well-prepared and like you are dating someone with it and then you end up getting it, like it still like sucks. But honestly, like the biggest thing is just becoming more educated about it and talking to people who have lived with it because we can show you that it's not going to ruin your sex life or dating life. Mm -hmm. And so when you do have it, obviously disclosing this to people that you're going to have sex with is a must, but do people tend to think about one night stands as something that they try to go around? So I got it from a one night stand. So I'm very adamant about always disclosing your status. Again, like the chances of transmission are actually pretty low when you know you have herpes and you're like taking care of it it's pretty low to transmit but obviously it still happens and so I've actually known doctors I've had people message me that like doctors have told them to like don't disclose for one night stands like it's not a big deal um 
Yeah, and I just feel like ethically that's like awful. <laughs> um, because again, like I, they're under the impression, like they're taught, like it's a very common virus. It's not a big deal. Like they say the same thing for HPV as well. So I get like that understanding because like where I am, I'm like, yes, I have herpes. It's not a big deal. But everyone should be able to make decisions about their sexual health. Um, it just doesn't feel, yeah, it just doesn't feel consensual if I don't disclose it. So no, and it's something that would affect somebody long-term like forever, exactly. uh, I guess. But if somebody does have it, like what would be the, some do's and don'ts of not like right off the bat? Do disclose. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> don't Google. Don't Google herpes. Um, don't go on Reddit and look at herpes. Be wary of Facebook support groups. Uh, a lot of the time, well, Google has a lot of misinformation and then groups on like Reddit and Facebook can be a lot of people on there haven't like worked through the stigma. So it's very negative. It can be a very negative space. Um, so avoid that and then find support in other ways through social media still, but in ways that aren't just negative, like seek out like podcasts, other find like, I, find, yeah, find me. Yeah. yeah. Find me, but there's a bunch of like in-person meetups that you can go to. I host online monthly support groups. Other people host monthly support groups. Become educated and do like actual research. Again, not through Google, like just go to the CDC and like actual medically accurate places. So what would sure. be some misinformation that someone might find within these Facebook groups? Well, the first thing that I did when I got herpes was I obviously started Googling. And one of the first things I saw was that like, if you have herpes, you can't have kids. And that's just like, absolutely not true so I was like panicking like I don't even know if I want to have kids but I was just like panicking about it like oh my god I'm not able to have kids mm -hmm. um so that's one thing or not necessarily that there's misinformation on the Facebook groups it's more that like people are having a hard time and are kind of like projecting and being like no one's gonna love me like this is a terrible virus like we just need to find a cure and it just kind of like echo chamber there so it's not really like support or empowering it's just like keeping people down yeah and it is something like for instance I do get cold sores but it's interesting because I started taking lemon balm I guess like a year ago and I get them when I get like very stressed out but there's been some stressful instances in my life but I feel like the lemon balm actually has helped like I'm not I'm not a doctor here I'm not trying to prescribe but if you know anything or if that's something that you've heard of as well or holistic remedies for these yeah so I am an herbalist and esthetician so I actually make my own um herpes products so I actually have a lemon balm tincture that I sell um so it's basically like taking it's like basically drinking a cup of tea but you just take it in a few drops it's like a very it's like the herbs extracted so it's very very strong lemon balm is amazing it is a nervine which helps calm the nervous system which is why it works for herpes because herpes lives in the nervous system so it helps kind of like keep it at bay and also lemon balm just helps with everything I feel like <laughs> it's like for like stress headaches stomach aches like I don't know it's my it's literally my all-time favorite herb it's amazing well, that's good to hear. Is it something that herpes just, it does get triggered by stress? Is there other types of things that would trigger it? Like food, for instance, or environmental? Yeah. So everyone's going to have their own triggers. I think across the board, it's pretty much stress is going to be like number one, but some people might be sensitive to certain foods. Um, like food that's high in arginine has been said to like, in, like increase the herpes virus or whatever. 
Um, so it might like trigger an outbreak for people. For me, it doesn't do that. Um, arginine is found in like chocolate, nuts, I forget. Um, some like protein powders. It's an amino acid that actually like you you need. So if you are, if that is a trigger for you, just make sure you're also eating a lot of food with lysine to balance it out. You can also take a lysine supplement, but I think it's better just to get it through a like, natural food source. And what food sources would lysine be in? Lysine is in a lot of meats, cheese. Unfortunately, like it's not a lot of like vegan friendly stuff, but nutritional yeast has a ton of lysine in it. So that's a good like vegan friendly option. Alcohol can be a trigger. Sugar can be a trigger. Like it just, everyone's going to be different. Some people might have like their period might be triggering for them. Sex could be a trigger just because of the friction. So in that case, I would suggest just making sure you're using a ton of lube. But it's going to be unique to everyone. Like for some people, like travel is a trigger. Oh, wow. Okay. Just like little things. Yeah, it's just going to be unique. And and people who get cold sores, the sun can be a trigger. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, when you're first diagnosed, it can be a little scary. And when you are meeting other people, for instance, when you're starting in the dating pool, is there some advice that you can give to how you can bring this topic up specifically to new people? My biggest thing when you're disclosing your herpes status is to not look at it like a disclosure, like this big, scary conversation. You should be looking at it as like an open conversation about sexual health with a potential partner. Um, Because not only are you disclosing, like they're disclosing too. Just because I have an STI doesn't mean I don't have to like ask someone else about their sexual health. So I always just start the conversation by asking the other person when they've been tested last and then kind of have that discussion about like, barrier methods, like testing, what we're into, which are conversations that everyone should be having. You shouldn't be waiting till you have an STI to like ask. Like, it's so funny looking back of my like dating life. I never asked people about like STIs and they never asked me. And that's like, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say that was the same in BDSM and kink. Before I got actually into more structured, I feel like casual sex, there were no rules. Mm -hmm. And when I got into BDSM and kink, it's not that the rules take anything away. In fact, it gives you a more better informed decision about what you're doing, but also more pleasurable because you have taken the time to have some safety measures put into place. Exactly. And it makes people trust you more. Like the amount of times that I've like had that conversation and people are like, wow, like, thank you so much for your honesty. Like, I, I feel like one more turned on because you're being like really safe. So it just creates more trust, vulnerability, better sex. Yes. Yeah. What lovely. So what advice would you have for someone to take back their power once they, if they get diagnosed and maybe they're feeling low about it? Yeah. I mean, for me, it took me a while to like, feel good about myself again. So you can either like stop dating or continue to date. Like if you need to take time and like, just be with yourself, that's totally great. My biggest thing is like connecting back to your sexuality first, because it's, you need to create that relationship with yourself again. So for me, like creating like an actual solo pleasure practice was huge because like before that I would obviously like was like using my vibrator, like obviously all the time, but it wouldn't, it would just be like a quick, like, where we're just doing it. But instead it was like, all right, I'm like connecting to myself and I'm taking time just for me. Um, So that's a big one, honestly, taking nudes or just doing anything that makes you feel really hot. For me, it's taking nudes. Nice. (laughs) Anything that just makes you feel good about yourself. Um, Like any forms of self-care, journaling is great. Obviously therapy (laughs) is huge. But yeah, anything that just like helps you connect to yourself again. Wonderful. 
Like, what would you do during flare-ups? Like, for instance, is there holistic methods that people can take if they're at home? Yeah. So some people will take Valtrex, which is just the pill you can take when you have an outbreak and that will help speed up the healing process. I personally don't really take it. If an outbreak is really bad, maybe I'll take one once in a while, but I use getting outbreaks as an excuse to like, like <laughs> relax for once. Yeah. Um, never do that. And it's a great reminder to like do more self-care. So like a nice thing to help soothe outbreaks is either doing like a sits bath or just a regular bath with like natural herbs or like any type of like salts, whatever. A big thing is putting an ice cube on the outbreak. That feels like really good. Yeah. <laughs> to your point about outbreaks, I feel like when I got cold sores, it would be like, I have to take a break. Like it's just yeah. it's also gauging. I think when people have it, they need to realize like if there's a lot of stress, you're just increasing the chances of it coming on it's I guess more of a pre- preventative measure we need to take into account exactly yeah it's a good reminder to like slow down a little bit I actually like like when I get them because I'm like all right let me force myself to like maybe sleep in a little bit longer because I feel like I don't get enough sleep anymore and I actually had an outbreak last week and I was like oh my god let me get let me give myself actually like eight hours of sleep and it obviously like helped like even just like going back to like uh, what you should be like eating a good meal like getting a ton of rest like not being on your phone at night like all those little things like add up and then I also I make something called goddess oil which is a natural oil for outbreak so I just always just lather myself in that when I have an outbreak too yeah so what would be the cycle of it be like can you feel them coming on type situation and then how long is the process of it to heal itself I guess So everyone's going to be different. So I actually just did a post about this the other day, like outbreaks will look different for everyone. Like, obviously there's like, you can sometimes see a herpes outbreak and be like, all right, that's obviously herpes, but sometimes herpes can look like a little paper cut. Like for me, I had an outbreak last week and it looked like a paper cut, which has actually never happened to me before. Um, It looked like a paper cut. And then it kind of moved to like, I just, cause I like didn't stop and relax. (laughs) Um, so I like, ended up getting like actual sores after, which also doesn't really happen to me anymore. But usually it will be like, I'll get tingling in my leg a few days before, usually like one to two days and then an outbreak will form. But if I catch it in time and like maybe take all the Altrex or maybe rest, then sometimes I won't get an outbreak. It will just like stop. But either way, like when I, my leg is tingling, that means I'm contagious. So I know like to abstain from sex. Um, but so yeah, everyone will be different. Mine will start with like tingling in my leg. Then my skin usually will just get red, honestly, for like a day or two. But then I'll wait seven days before having sex again. Once it's like, I know it's like gone. But so, but yeah, again, it'll be different for everyone. Sometimes people will have outbreaks for like five days. And like, they'll have an actual sore and then like the sores kind of pop, which is kind of, <laughs> sounds kind of gross. And then like, they kind of like crust over and then it will kind of heal down from there. That's yeah, usually like- It's good to, to talk about it because some people yeah. might not, they see something and then they don't want to get it dealt with because um, they're so right. scared about what it is. So it's very much to talk about the reality of it, but also like once you do talk about the education side and what it is and what it looks like, you're better prepared how to heal yourself through the process of it for sure so do you get a lot of pushback from just when you first created safe slut did you get a lot of good positive feedback from the online community 
Yeah. At the beginning, it was amazing. Like everyone, like even people that I like knew in real life were like very supportive of it. Um, Because at first I was anonymous, but then I like a month later, I was like, nah, fuck it. So yeah, everyone, everyone's great. And like, I feel like initially it was like only people who had herpes followed me, but then it turned into just like people who were like interested in learning about herpes or like sex education. So now I feel like it's probably pretty split. I don't even know. I've obviously had some trolls, but they're just uneducated. So I don't really care about them. And there always be like, I think that's what it comes down to when it comes to sex. Like there is that stigma, I guess, when it comes to it, like, oh, you have herpes, you must be dirty or something, but that's not the case. It can literally happen. Just like you said, one night stand, just, you don't know, you don't know. And some people, I, some people know that they don't have it. They don't, they're unaware. Yeah, exactly. It's mostly asymptomatic and it's not on the standard STI panel and it's like, pretty common so most people have it and have no idea and especially the trolls who are like saying mean things on my page like they're usually the ones that don't get tested and are more likely to have it anyways (laughs) what what would it be for it's not on the standard sti is there a reason is it just hard to pick up on scans or yeah so the so usually if you have an outbreak they'll swab it and do a culture but then usually they'll also do a blood test just so you can determine which, if it's HC1 or 2. But usually if you aren't showing any symptoms, like they're not going to test you for it because the blood test is kind of faulty. And they also feel that if someone is asymptomatic, it's not worth knowing that they have it because of the emotional um, and like psychological effects of having it, um, which I think adds to the stigma like if they're not going to test people for it at least when they're getting tested be like hey this isn't on STI panel it's common you probably already have it it's asymptomatic and we don't test for it just so people know like some people people just assume they're getting tested for herpes and they're not I yeah I think that's what it is because it is something that gets brought up a lot through conversation about health but it's interesting that it's not on a panel right right you yeah you have to specifically ask or be showing symptoms and usually like when people ask they'll tell you no anyways Oh, really? Yeah. So it's not even an easy test to even get. Yeah. It also depends on location. Like I'm in New York City and like usually they'll always test when I'm at my gynecologist. Um, I think just because it's a big city that's like STIs are more prevalent in bigger cities. So that's mm-hmm. probably why. I don't know. Okay. Well, that's interesting. And is there any other misconceptions that you've come across while you've started this work that you'd like people to really know that that's not the case? Oh my God, there's so many misconceptions. We can go through them. (laughs) Yeah. Number one is that people don't realize that cold sores are herpes and they don't realize that they can transmit it to someone genitally, even if they don't have an outbreak. Um, Sorry, or a cold sore, same thing. Like even if you got cold sores as a kid, you can still give that to someone genitally um, when no cold sores present because there's something called shedding. So I just feel like if people knew that that was the case, like it just wouldn't there wouldn't be as much of a stigma about it of calling it like only like slutty people get herpes. I mean, like I got it from being slutty, but I know so many people who got it in like a long-term monogamous relationship from someone who has cold sores or even just, I don't know, casually dating. Uh, Biggest thing is, yes. Sorry, to your point, I was going to ask, what was shedding? Does that mean? Oh, so shedding is when you are contagious, but you don't have any symptoms. Okay. So basically with herpes, like, The longer you have it, the less you're going to shed. But unfortunately, there's no way to know when you're shedding, Mm. um, which is also why that's usually when like transmission would happen. 
which is why I think disclosure is also important because a lot of people just assume that like you're only contagious when you have an outbreak and that's that's not the case yeah I think that's very important to share yeah sorry I was gonna say even if people who have never had an outbreak in their whole life but have it asymptomatically can still transmit to someone that it sounds like it's just so the no even with this data if that's the case it they are the numbers like accurate then because it'd be so hard to pinpoint if so many people are asymptomatic. so they have numbers where they're like yeah like over one in six in the u.s have genital herpes but it's like again like i don't know where they're getting that number from and i'm assuming it's just like an estimate based on like some sort of testing system (laughs) because like obviously like if they've never been tested for it how do they know but I don't know. It makes sense that it would be that prevalent. But. Yeah. Yeah. And what are, so what's another couple other ones, misconceptions that you've come across? That you can spread it on like a toilet seat or through a towel. That's not true. It spreads skin to skin. Okay. Um, another one is that using condoms will prevent it or barrier methods. Not always the case. It will help reduce transmission, but because it's transferred skin to skin and not through fluid, obviously a condom is not going to cover the entire area. So you can still get herpes when using condoms, which further proves that like we need to stop stigmatizing it because it's sex is a risk with anyone. STIs are always going to be like part of being sexually active and it just is what it is. Yeah. You You can be as safe as possible and still get it. And that's the thing too, for even with people that take precautions and still get it, it's just... How do you, how would you give advice to manage like that? Like, it's really just no one's fault. Like, or, like right. even if you take precaution, the risk is still there, I guess I should rephrase. Exactly. So I think just making sure people are aware of that, honestly. Um, and I think the biggest thing is like trying to get people to not be like afraid of it. Cause again, they have this background of what they think herpes is, but like their perception of it isn't actually what it is. Cause we were taught from a young age that it's like, this awful thing like you see in the media all these herpes jokes but that's not actually like what herpes actually is I heard yeah. that herpes like in old age homes are just like all over the place that I think I made a joke or somebody told me a joke about that or about a fact about herpes just being in old folks homes like everywhere <laughs> yeah no it's true and it also like the older you get if you're like not like obviously if you're a monogamous long-term relationship you can still get herpes but like the more partners you're having, obviously you're going to be more likely to be exposed to herpes. So the older you get, it's more common. So it makes sense that in the old people homes, just running around. <laughs> they, they need to listen to the podcast. That's funny. <laughs> so who do you feel like mostly reaches out to you just at all walks of life? I'm assuming. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely a range. I think primarily it would be more women and queer people because I think men have a harder time dealing with it just based on how they're socialized but to not like reach out and ask for help. So I do love it when men do reach out and ask for help. Um, but usually it's women, um, probably like 20s and 30s is like usual age group. Do you think that the media makes this worse? Like how the projection of herpes is, it's just always about trying to demonize it? Yeah, I feel like herpes ends up being the butt of many jokes in media and film. Um, but I will say, I think the narrative is shifting a little bit. Like there's some comedians out there who are herpes positive, who make herpes jokes, but they make it in like a non-stigmatizing way. Mm-hmm. Um, and even there was an SNL skit, I think Timothy Chalamet was on it and he, it was like some skit about herpes, but then he was like, but everyone has it. It's not a big deal kind of thing. 
Um, because SNL is like notorious for making like really bad herpes jokes. So that was like really nice to see that oh, they made them. Yeah. Maybe they were like listening to all of us herpes advocates like complain about them. <laughs> is there a big herpes advocate right now that you look up to? There's there's so many of us. So I feel like everyone kind of has their own little I don't want to say like niche, but like everyone kind of does their own flavor their own thing with it. So people I, I feel like more friends, but I obviously like look up to them as well. But Sue's Bubs on TikTok and Instagram. She does like base a lot of like similar world like we're like we're still hot with herpes and like she'll post these like amazing thirst traps and uh, especially on TikTok and just like respond to like shitty comments on TikTok and like I look up to her in that way because I get nervous like responding to people who are being mean. So like she's really good at being like fuck you guys and just like ignore it. So she's great at that. And then there's Positively Positive Podcast. Sarah, she makes a great podcast about like living with herpes and the way she just like is able to like bring in like solid information and then also be like relatable and, and like person like talk about personal stuff without like oversharing because I overshare. She does a good like mix of not doing that, but still like explaining stuff. Um, yeah, her podcast is great. Um, there's also so many herpes advocates. It's actually like wild, which I think is good that there's so many people out here doing the work. Well, it's definitely good if it's as common, like it is more common than I think people do anticipate for sure. And so, yeah, it's one of those things, like if you might not have it, you certainly know somebody who might have it. Exactly. Exactly. It's, there's always someone that you know that has it that maybe you don't even know because obviously no one wants to talk about it. So once, like once I started talking about having herpes openly, the amount of people that are like, oh, I have it too. I've never told anyone. Mm. So I'm just like, people just got to keep talking about it. And then we're all going to find out that we all have herpes. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are some things that you wish people would know about it specifically? That it doesn't di- make you like damaged goods or anything. Like I'm not, I'm not always having an outbreak. I'm not like constantly like full of outbreaks on my genitals. It's just super manageable. It's just honestly, it's just like, communicating it with a future partner that's really what it is and I think that's important to state that it will become more manageable as you go through it you just have to face it originally exactly like it's definitely it's gonna force you to go on like a little journey of like self-healing and self-love it's just you gotta put in the work but it's definitely worth it in the end because I feel like I'm a way better person than I was before I got herpes yeah, absolutely. And you're doing a great work. I think sending out the information and is, is there resources that you would suggest to research or books or anything like that that people should know just on the health side? Yeah. For more like medically like focus social media, um, sex education, she is, has her master's in like sexuality. She's a therapist. So she has like the facts. Like I always, I'm like, I'm not a doctor. I'm just like writing about my experience and like helping people through that but like she has like actual information so she's she's posted like infographs about like um transmission rates and stuff like that so sex education is great i'll put all the links in the description so yeah, okay. I Instagram, unless i'm gonna get confused with someone else and then honestly like you could ask your gynecologist or a doctor but like a lot of the times they don't have as much information as you would think that they would so i think just going directly to like the cdc is there yeah. questions that someone should ask their doctor specifically in case just to get a gauge if their doctor is the best suited for them? 
yes and no I feel like it's hard to ask a question like if you're not like don't know like what you're looking for like a big thing mm-hmm. is like a lot of doctors will be like oh you have genital herpes you have HSV2 when it's like you would have HSV1 or HSV2 there um so they're not even like aware that like cold sores are transmitted that way or that it automatically is HSV2 is that just the sorry is that just the title for whether where the placement is on your body no so HSV1 and HSV2 are both strains of herpes and they can live on either location um but we usually associate HSV1 with cold sores and HSV2 with genital herpes. So there's a huge misconception that you can, that's where each of them lives, but they can live in both location. Um, and a lot of doctors have apparently like not known that. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I also think it's interesting that it lives in the nervous system. I find that interesting that it's so like, I feel like in my experience that it was directly related to stress, but I swear, I feel like it's just like this lemon balm. Like I, I, again, I'm not a doctor, but I swear it totally changed my life. Like I, ever since I started drinking, I have a tattoo of it. this is a tattoo of lemon balm. I actually don't like the tattoo, but it is of lemon balm. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing. Thank you. Yeah. I'm probably going to get it reworked or redone because it's, ugly but I love lemon balm so much <laughs> is there other herbs like that that someone could take that is just as I guess uh effective yeah I mean you can take any like nervine in that case um I think like mugwort is another one that also helps with like period stuff um but again when you're taking any herb obviously ask your doctor first do your research especially if you're taking medication a lot of mushrooms are great like um reishi and chaga mm-hmm probably my like top ones for herpes um chaga is great because it's great for your immune system and usually when we're like getting kind of sick that's when outbreaks can form as well just because our immune system is kind of lowered okay okay good to know well this has been great is there any what like where can my listeners find you um so i am on every single social media platform that you can think of so on instagram i am safe.slut also tiktok safe.slut Twitter is safe underscore slut. Um, my Patreon and YouTube page are just safe slut. And on OnlyFans, I am safe slut with a V because you can't use the word slut on OnlyFans. Um, really? Yeah. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. This is off topic, but that's hilarious. I'm, I didn't know you. I'm like, this is a porn site. What the fuck? Yeah. Um. So it's annoying. But yeah, it's safe <laughs> slut with a V. And then what other other stuff is there and your support group do you have any other information for that i'd love to make sure that we get that up so when's your next one that goes out actually my support group is tonight um oh wow so them once a month i actually do them around the new moon so i do like an intention setting like kind of like new moon ritual yeah so it will be whatever what the next new moon around that time on a wednesday if you are subscribed to my patreon you'll get access to it if you're on tier two and up Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, that's cool that you have it around the moon. I'm all into that jazz. So I think that's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cute and witchy. Well, my biggest takeaway with you is just really your attitude around this, just like how you, it's not a death sentence. It's not going to end your life. You are not less than or less worthy. So it's just reframing it. And it takes a lot of courage to come out and actually say it as well to fight the stigma that goes around. For sure. It was definitely really scary when I first came out. <laughs> and I think that you're incredibly like it's uh, courageous, but also necessity. I think at this point that we need more people to stand up and say these things, especially around sexual education. Yeah. Like to me, it's just like I personally feel like there's nothing to be ashamed of about having it. 
So I don't see the point in not being open about it. Absolutely. But I also think where it's like, it's also like just medical information that you don't need to share with people. But if you feel inclined to help fight stigma and you want to, go for it. Yeah, I guess really just with the partners that you're going to have sex with and like, or just in general, skin to skin, like it, I guess as if the skin is about to touch, then yes, you have to say something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on the show. And to my listeners, I will see you next week. And as always, stay kinky.